Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. So today we're going to take a trip down memory lane. We're going to get nostalgic about setups that we miss from the past. So who's going to go first? Uh, Maybe Gary, you can go first. What setup do you miss the most? So the setup I miss the most, and I think really the first machine that I full-timed Linux on, it was an Asus EPC 701. And primarily I bought it because you could buy them for about 200 quid at the time. They had amazing battery life, only about a 600 megahertz seller on CPU, half a gig of RAM, four gigs of quote-unquote SSD. Who knows what it actually was? (laughs) But the main appeal for me was that it was running Linux, right? So it was running some bastardized Asus version of Xandros. Limpus? Was it called Limpus Linux? No, so it was Xandros. So the Acer once came with a version of Limpus Linux, which was Fedora under the hood. But the original Asus one came with Xandros, which was Debian-based. And yeah, it was the original UI was the kind of typical designed for kids type user interface. We had different tabs for work, learn, home, play. Came with Firefox and OpenOffice at the time installed. But the thing was infinitely hackable. And by the end of it, I had it running a full KDE3 desktop with all of the apps I needed installed. I had Wine with a copy of Office installed for doing things that I needed Office for. And there was just this childlike enjoyment of being able to just play with it and really do whatever it was that I needed to do with that machine. Uh, Later years, it ended up with Ubuntu 804 on. But it was really the first machine that made me just screw around with Linux and not worry about it. Well, Gary, I've got bad news for you. I had a 701 that I borrowed off a friend for a couple of years, and it was terrible. I hated that machine. (laughs) It was just so slow and just so bad. But that is because I had an EPC 901, which was the last netbook to make sense. Someone described it as once, and I am inclined to agree with them on that. Because after that, they got too big. The battery didn't last long enough, and they just didn't make any sense anymore. But the kind of footprint of the 901 was similar to the 701. Yeah, it just didn't have the comically big screen bezels. Yeah, it didn't have the speakers either side of the screen, so it had a full 16 by 9 screen. I mean, it was still like 600 by something. It was terribly low resolution. But I have the same feelings about that as you do about the 701, it seems, because, again, yeah, that came running... Xandros and that didn't last long and then I installed Ubuntu on it and I remember having to learn about installing additional debs to make it actually work with Wi-Fi and stuff because it was quite cutting-edge hardware at the time that I bought it and I just loved having this little machine that wasn't my main machine that I could just do anything I wanted with and I used to just boot all sorts of Linux distros from the SD card and, you know, that meant you didn't have to have a, uh, a USB stick hanging out the side of it. And uh, I just had a lot of fun trying out every single distro. And I think that EPC is probably to blame for why I use XFCE now, because everything else was just horribly slow on it, whereas XFCE actually ran quite well. See, I ended up with full GNOME 2 with wobbly windows and desktop cube and everything and didn't care that it was slow. (laughs) Because I could just take it anywhere and show off with it, which was a damn sight better than the desktop machine I had at the time. And to be honest with you, I spent years and years, you know, 
10 plus years trying to recapture that machine and to have this small machine that I could throw in a bag and not care about. It's only this year where I've got this little Lenovo tablet that can run Linux that really I've managed to recapture that. And yeah, I think for me, there's just something about a small machine with not a lot of power that is infinitely hackable. And yeah, okay, you'd be annoyed if you broke it, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. And yeah, for me, that machine was really what got me started you know, tinkering with Linux. Yeah, the GPD Pocket series is kind of the same form factor almost, but it's just too expensive for me. Yeah, and that's what I liked about this Lenovo tablet I bought. I mean, it's a Pentium CPU. It's got 8 gigs of RAM, 120 gigs of eMMC, and it was kind of around the 200 quid mark. But, you know, it's more than enough to be usable, and it's the only machine I ever travel with now, much like the EPC was. Going into this, I thought I was going to talk about phones, but you just brought up a memory of a machine that I, I guess I still have. Uh, it is an Asus Transformer Book T300 Qi. The last word is important because the T300 was garbage. The Qi was like aluminum chassis, glass screen, you know, all the nice stuff. Good build quality. And it's a convertible. Now you can see why I am obsessed with the Surface. <laughs> it was the first device that I bought for school. Not high school, but like college. And... The ability to use the pen on a screen at the time was still kind of garbage in Windows 8, but good enough that you could really see it going somewhere. Like OneNote was pretty good, but more importantly than that, when I installed Linux on it, the pen actually worked, which wasn't the experience for a lot of machines at the time. So there was only basically one app that worked with it. That was Journal or Xernal where you can actually draw on PDFs or just draw on virtual notepaper or whatever. But yeah, that became a big obsession of mine for a few years after. And I still haven't really managed to recapture it because everything just kind of is too inconvenient now. Wasn't that an ARM SOC in that? No, no, no. That was a Core M series at that time. Right. It had like four gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of storage, but it was enough. I still have it. It still can run Linux, just not as well as it used to be able to, which is weird. Well, it's interesting that, Gary, especially the thing you said about playing around with something and Joe, something that's not your main machine, because the one I immediately thought of was I used to share a house with two other guys the same age as me, and um, we decided to set up a headless box but we weren't particularly experienced with Linux. My friend was the most experienced, but not massively so. So we did a self-build because we'd been building PCs for years. And then we put Ubuntu either 10.04 or 12.04. It must have been 10.04, I think, and Webmin on it because the command line was still a bit <laughs> like we certainly wouldn't, especially because the idea of having a computer without a display attached to it at the time was novel. But that's the thing is is... I, in fact, I was looking at how old the printer that we attached to it was because we just kept finding these cool things that we could do. You know, I bought a laser printer that was USB only and then, oh, we can just make it wireless by hooking it up onto the network. And then we put a Plex server onto it and it was like a kind of sandbox for experimentation. And there was nothing on there that we could really worry about breaking. None of the files that were stored in there were our critical files. But it was definitely like the gateway drug to Linux for both of us. We both run 
Linux on our personal machines full time. And obviously I, for work, use it. He's stuck on Windows. So he's actually quite a big fan of WSL because he hates it, but he has to use it. (laughs) So WSL gives him that flexibility. And I think it's also the discovery. You lose that a little bit. I think that's what I'm constantly chasing. I think when I'm looking around at what's going on with Linux and reading the news. So I always enjoy it when I find something that recreates that feeling of the new and the interesting and the exciting. And at that stage, everything was. We'd never run anything like this before. And Webmin was shonky as hell. <laughs> but... I still have nightmares thinking about some of the config files that I saw from <laughs> Webmin. <laughs> but it got us going. And our other friends, you know, the other housemate, there was three of us, he was like, wow, this is great. And then the first Raspberry Pi came out. And so he got one and put what would have been OpenELEC back then on it. And it was so slow, like loading the thumbnails and the metadata for everything. But again, he was like, this is incredible. I've got this really cheap computer and it's pulling the files off the server. And it genuinely did seem like magic that you could just send something to print. And this box just chugged away. And eventually we moved out and we had not touched it. And I've never seen so much dust in a machine because <laughs> it was just on the floor in the corner of the spare room where we dried our laundry. There was absolutely no protection for it. And I think it ended up being disassembled and, and repurposed by my friend who took it away. But that's one of the fondest memories I have because everything was new and everything seemed so exciting that you could do with it. Well, one of the other machines that I have real nostalgia for is my c720 chromebook which i still have and so i got it cheap in the first place to run chrome os and to experience that and then i started putting proper linux on it and again it served that same function it was a machine that i could just do anything with and not care about and i remember back when i used to do mintcast all those years ago trying out the latest release of Linux Mint on it in a park in Camden waiting for my friend. And I remember the sun was shining and just having this really super portable machine that had a reasonable battery life that was light and cheap. And, you know, I I was staying out quite late in Camden getting drunk. If someone had stolen it off me, yeah, it would have sucked, but, you know, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. And just having that portable machine was just so cool. And, uh, Yeah, then I gave it to my mum with Ubuntu on it until the keyboard broke, and then she gave it back to me, and I tried to use it as a backup server, but uh, it just wouldn't reboot reliably. So it's just in the stack of laptops now. (laughs) It's interesting how the experience of using the machines is almost more important than any of the hardware or anything that has anything to do with it. Because, I mean, we've talked about it being difficult to install Linux on some of these machines. And today, if we have difficulty installing Linux on something, we'll just give up. I mean, I think that's kind of what we've talked about before, is just we don't want to tinker with it on our main machines. But for these, it's the struggle almost was what made it fun for us. Well, I don't agree that I would give up because my main machine is just a 9900K. You're not going to have any problem running any Linux distro on that. I haven't even got a graphics card. Hold my beer. Uh, Well, yeah, you with your, you know, Surface laptops and everything. But my basic desktop runs Linux absolutely perfectly. But 
I do still enjoy the challenge of trying to get Linux installed on. Like I've got that tablet. I must have talked about. It. I think it's a Link Seven or Eight or something, uh, which is I think it's got two gigs of RAM and an Atom CPU, and uh, that's been quite good fun to try and get Linux running on it. And so for me, the fun is still there. The challenge is still there. Like I've got a Samsung Galaxy S3. Oh in, boy! Uh, it's actually in a chest somewhere. And I, I, for some reason, I was reminded of Postmarket OS, and I went to have a look to see how well that was supported. And I thought, right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to install Postmarket OS on it and see what it's like. For no other reason than just it'll be fun. You know, probably not even to talk about it on a show, just because it seems like good fun to me. And I think you're right. It's not the specific devices that we have nostalgia for necessarily, because I could have actually uh, got my hands on an EPC 901 again years later, because the original one I gave away to my wife's sister's family, and uh, I don't suppose they use it anymore. I could probably get it back, but uh, I just I think it's better as a memory because it'd just be so horribly slow now. <laughs> but it's not about that hardware, is it? It's about the experience. It's about the fact that we learned to tinker with them. We had fun and learned how to use Linux and how it all worked. Yeah, absolutely. Like I could probably go and buy another E seven oh one on eBay for twenty quid, but I don't want to because like you say, it's the memories of having that machine that I took everywhere, ran Linux on, learned a whole bunch of stuff and probably to an extent owe my career to that little two hundred quid awful netbook. That yeah, you're right. It's it's not at all about the hardware. It's just about the things that we did with it. And I think that's why we've all got you know fairly drastically different pieces of hardware, right? Like Chris, yours was an old desktop. Dalton, yours was some tablet thing, and yeah, you know, mine and Joe's were both netbooks. But I think it is just the what you did with it and the things you learned that really are what matter. I think that's it. It's it's about taking something and doing as much as possible that wouldn't have necessarily been the original intention as well. That's what I've always really enjoyed. Like you said with the Chromebook, Joe, like there's loads of them that have passed through my hands where I've taken the right protect screw out of the firmware and put Mr. Chromebook's firmware on and made it do more. And I can think of various stupid little things that I've done that with, like uh, there was like a Western Digital TV box that you could flash firmware and all the stuff I've done with phones. And it's just the idea that you can take something and make it into so much more than even the manufacturer might have originally intended to do because some FOSS project has unleashed, because they're all just computers at the end of the day. And if you can access them to a low level, then you can build something on top of that often. But yeah, if you go back to any of those, like like a Pi 1, for example, I've still got a Pi 1 in a drawer here. If you go back and put like, you can still get recent builds of Libra Elec now on there, but you would not want to use that at all. And it wouldn't fill you with fuzzy nostalgia in the process of using it right now. But thinking back to all of that discovery is definitely what it's about. It's kind of a moment frozen in time. And some of these old machines I've imaged and you, I can boot them as virtual machines, but it's the same thing. You go back and it's just, it's not the same. It's sort of triggers the memories of what you were doing then but the the actual machine now is not not something that fills you with joy dalton what phone do you feel nostalgic about then you teased that at the beginning uh it's a toss-up between the nexus 5x which was garbage and the moto x 2012 
like the first Moto X, the one that Google made when they owned Motorola for like a year before selling them off. Right. So the nice thing about the Moto X was it was the first phone that taught me, you know, all these great things that mobile technology could do. It was the first phone that had okay Google support in sleep. It had its own special core that was processing audio at all times. So it was like, it seems like it's kind of a beachhead in devices as we know them today. Plus, it was just small and easy to use. Always on display came to that device first, basically. There's just a lot of things that we just use today that were pioneered on that device that I feel like is almost kind of special to have been one of the first to experience that. Also, it was a small device. I'm partial to small devices. I want a small phone. They don't exist anymore. It's sad. Yeah, I think my favorite phone was the Nexus 4 because that was the first sort of proper phone that I'd had because I had uh, a couple of Xperia's with sliding keyboards before that. But this was like the first proper stock Android one that I'd had and then subsequently flashed various ROMs on it and whatnot. And, and even stuff like Maru, I think. Or was that the Nexus 5? I can't remember. No, that was 5. So both of them, really, the Nexus 4 and 5, I have real strong nostalgia for. And I've still got one of each somewhere. Somewhere. See, for me, it was the Moto G, the original one. Well, actually, not the original one, but the first one that came with LTE. For very similar reasons. It was a phone that you could buy for 120 quid and you could unlock the bootloader and pretty much do whatever you wanted with it. And I remember buying that thing with Android 4 and then when Android 4 lost support, putting you know, various versions of CyanogenMod and Lineage on it. And yeah, it can still run a reasonably recent version of Lineage now. You wouldn't want to use it, but it's still a phone that you know, even in the last three or four years, I have pulled out of the drawer and put into use when my phone's been broken or you know, needing repair or whatever. So, yeah, massive nostalgia for that phone. And it's still in my desk drawer at home. And I can't see myself throwing it away as pointless as it is to keep now. See, that's what's interesting to me is that I didn't actually mess with the X. It had a locked bootloader from Verizon. I got it for a penny from Verizon, you know, with two <laughs> years of contract. But I couldn't mess with it. It just was exactly what Motorola, Google, and Verizon wanted it to be. I think in a way it even taught me about digital freedom in that I couldn't take those things off. When I finally went to the Google activity log for the first time and heard myself saying, okay, Google now, every time I'd done it for the past two years... <laughs> That phone is important because it taught me about digital privacy and that I had none of it as well. Mine was the HTC Desire, the first one. And it's the complete opposite of that, Dalton. It was because I did everything on it. So it came with, I think, Android 2.1. It got upgraded to Gingerbread, but I bought it a bit later and immediately flashed CyanogenMod 7 on it. I repartitioned the storage on the device I had to learn how to put S off on, which was a sort of security feature that HTC had. And I then created a SIM-linked uh, partition for installing apps onto an SD card, oh which was absolutely terrible performance. But I thrashed that thing to hell. And then my father-in-law had one and he did the same thing. And he was running it as his daily driver <laughs> until about two years ago when I got him an iPhone <laughs> SE. He, and he only what? stopped using it because WhatsApp stopped working on gingerbread. Wow. 
So that was that was his uh, his line in the sand. I mean, he's not a big WhatsApp user, but it is the way he keeps in contact with his family, and he wanted to be able to use it when he wanted to. But I remember being so excited about that phone. It had a one gigahertz processor in like such a small form factor. <laughs> one gigahertz. <laughs> one whole gigahertz, and uh, yeah, I I just modded the hell out of it, and I was on XDA, and I think that. If we're going to talk about like concurrently with the headless box I was talking about, that was when I really started to get my interest peaked in like, I don't want to do what comes with this technical device. I want to do as much as possible that we weren't supposed to do with it, basically. You're not supposed to put apps on the SD card. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Well, my friend who actually lent me the 701 that I talked about, he accused me of always seeing what else it could do. <laughs> <laughs> like no matter what not even with computers and phones necessarily just wh whatever it is i'll always just see what else it can do and i'm like yeah yeah why not well without wishing to get too uh philosophical or highbrow about this uh in my academic days basically one of the things we we're talking about is how adults often get scared of programming a vcr is the very very old sort of cliche but we went into the kind of academic thoughts of it and we looked at this guy called uh, Winnicott who did loads of studies as children and one of the things he said is just fear so I feel like we're like childlike and that's a good thing most people don't have that instinct to immediately pick something up pull it to bits and go what else can it do most people are like I'm scared I'm going to break it but children don't have that if you put children <laughs> in a room and explain very little and say go ahead they will often pull things apart and be like how does this work or make things that weren't the intended purpose and a lot of adults especially as you get older and older and older and hence the VCR thing they become more and more scared of that and so that's where they they won't go to program something or or mess with it and I think it's a very positive thing to it's called the configurative mindset, basically. So it's like when you cook, if you just toss things into the pan and go, bit of this, bit of that, let's see what happens if I do this. It's my preferred approach, but instills fear in a lot of people. Yeah. Well, we'd better wrap it up, but do let us know what devices and setups you have uh, nostalgic feelings about and why. You can email us, show at linuxafterdark.net. And thank you to everyone who got in touch about Mac file managers. I've checked one of them out and it was okay, but there's a few more I need to check out. So uh, yeah, thank you everyone for that. So we'll be back in two weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. Bye.